do praise you. We do praise you, Jesus, because you alone are worthy of all worship, all our praise, all our thanks. Um, Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us life. Um, thank you for not leaving us alone. Um, that that you know that this world that we walk through that is often dark, we don't walk through it alone, but we walk through it with you. So we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and uh, we love you. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you all this morning. Amen. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it, man. All righty. I'm going to come up here and talk to the kids real quick. So, but uh, all right. So, quick announcement uh, Vacation Bible School. Get excited. That's my notes. Now it's gonna be it's gonna be July 18th through the 20th from six to eight. Um, so we're gonna need help the Sunday before uh, getting stuff set up um, after church, and so we could certainly use some volunteers for that. Um, let's see. The theme of this year's VBS is make waves, and um, there's still time for everybody to invite more kids. So still got time for that, and parents. Uh, if you can help volunteer, please speak with Miss Maggie. Okay. That's my notes. So, all right. <clears throat> okay, so kids, so how many of you um, have ever been to, like, the doctor? Okay, the doc just a regular doctor. Okay. Have any of you ever been to a chiropractor? Okay, nice. So, Mr. Josh is seeing a chiropractor right now, because um, I've done some to my back. Uh, but... What I want to share with you is that the first day I went there, he had me lie on my back, and he said, okay, which, are you right-handed or left-handed? And I said, I'm right-handed. He says, okay, put your left hand up. So I put my left hand up, and he pushed down on it, and he said, just, just resist. And I was like, okay. And he said, okay, now put your right hand up. Like, I had nothing. And he says, that's not right. And so he took my neck, and he did this. That sounded great in the microphone. So, I kid you not, he took my neck, did that, and he said, okay, now put your left hand up. I did this, okay, same. I did my right hand, didn't move. So he said, because all that is connected, your spine and your brain sending signals to your muscles, and when those are off, your muscles don't work properly. So according to Google, uh, you're supposed to visit the chiropractor once a month. So to help kind of keep you keep you adjusted and all that other stuff. That's that's what Google says. But um, but you know, I also thought about like you know checking in with the chiropractor once a month. Okay, what about like in our spiritual lives with Jesus? So if you try to Google that, how often should we check in with Jesus? You're not going to get a, a good answer. So how how often should we check in with Jesus? Anybody, anybody have an idea? Always. Sam, always, like, like always, like once a month or fifty times a day. That's that's pretty good. A billion times a day, yeah. So maybe just every day, every day check in with Jesus. Is that probably a good, a good rule of thumb? Okay. How do we check in with Jesus? Pray. Very good. Okay. What well, what are some other ways we can check in with Jesus? 
What about worship? Singing praises? Okay. Prayer's a good one. What about reading the Bible? There you go. Good job, Sam. All right. Yeah. A lot of different ways of being checking with God, okay? And that's something that we should do because it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us every day. All right? Cool. All righty. Um, now, get, get ready because we've got Mr. Mitchell coming up here to deliver the message because David's in Scotland. So, hope he's having fun. And the, the, the kids can come back with me. Well, thank you. And I turned 30 last year. And at first I thought I was okay. Then my body started falling apart. And then I had to go to the chiropractor three times a week. So you just bring back memories from the fall. My wife calls me a geriatric millennial. <laughs> Uh, but my name is Mitchell Slater. So good to uh, be with you all today. Uh, I am one of the um, elders and teachers over at River Oaks Community Church, just a few minutes down the road. And um, just gotten to know your pastor, David, over the last few months. It's been really, really good. And so he um, asked me while he's away across the pond uh, to, to fill in and preach for him. So I was happy to do that. And so I'll be here this week. Uh, and next week with you all, and then David will be back. So I'm really looking forward to spending this time with you. Uh, the saints at River Oaks send their greetings, and I love being able to see churches work together and cooperate. And it's so good to see the kingdom flesh out like that. Um, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together for worship. We thank you for giving us your word. We pray that you would open up our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word today. We commit this time to you. We ask that you would be glorified and honored and worshiped as we open your word. So we ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever praised. Amen. So David's been going through a sermon series on the sidekicks of the Bible, right? So he's asked me to, to finish up these last two messages. So let me ask you, and you guys can talk, what's some of your you know, favorite kind of hero and sidekick combinations? It can be from movies, books, anything. Oh, Frodo and Sam, so good. I'm gonna talk about Frodo here in a minute, or Sam here in a minute, so. What else? Batman and Robin, that's classic, right? That's classic. Oh, the Sam and Frodo is my favorite. Batman and Robin, that's a close, that's a close second. There you go, there you go. I know David's a Star Wars fan. He was talking all about his R2-D2, so. Oh, yeah, Han and Chewie. Anybody see the new Top Gun movie? I don't know if I should be talking about that in church. I mean, Maverick and Goose, right? Oh, yes. And it was very good. Well, it was, it was good. I don't know if I should be talking. we talk about that in church? I think we can. <laughs> but but there's, there's so many good hero and sidekick combinations, right? But, but what they all have in common 
is that a good sidekick compliments the hero. Right? That they're not focused on themselves, they're focused on the protagonist, right? on the main character. And I know David has looked at several different uh, sidekicks so far, but now we're getting into the New Testament. We're going to look at what I think is kind of the quintessential sidekick in the Bible, John the Baptist. And, I mean, John the Baptist is literally the sidekick to the Son of God himself. That's kind of a big deal. That's a big deal. And in the story of redemption, in the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's only one hero. There's only one protagonist. It's Jesus. Right? And John knew this. John knew this reality. He knew that he wasn't the hero of the story. He knew he was the sidekick. And he loved it that way. So I want us to look closely at this sidekick to the Messiah. But as I think John himself would want, let's focus even more on our glorious and beloved Lord Jesus. And even your pastor, David, he texted me this morning, which for him was like midnight, and he said, show them Jesus. <laughs> so that's, let's, let's do that. Right? John himself, he said that, that he must increase and that he must decrease. That's what we want. We want Christ to increase and ourselves to decrease. So let's turn to John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And we're going to read John 1 verses 29 through 34. But we'll be primarily just focusing on verse 29. The next day... He saw Jesus, and that's John. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And this is the Word of God. So again, I want us to focus on verse... 29. Uh, this, this wonderful packed phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's message. And I want us to look at really three aspects of this redemption. That Jesus, the Lamb of God, he takes away the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. So when it says he takes away the sin of the world, I want us to look at the fact that Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. So first, let's ref reflect on the reality that Jesus takes away the penalty of sin. So to talk about John a little bit, he was the final prophet of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. He's the one who came baptizing in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord that the Christ, the Messiah, might be revealed to his people. 
And a prophet was just a man with a message from God. And so that's who John was. He was a herald. But strangely enough, his message was even displayed in his diet. So what was John the Baptist famous for eating? Locusts and honey, right? Now, that's weird. Why was he... I mean, did he dip the locusts in the honey? I don't know. Was this just the, you know, the newest fad of the first century? Right, right. Have you ever thought, why in the world was he eating that? Why did the Bible record it? Well, his, his eating was a living illustration of his preaching. So think back to the Exodus. In the Exodus, God sent ten plagues of judgment on Egypt. And one of them was a plague of locusts. And God brought his people out of Egyptian slavery and into a land flowing with milk and honey. So this was a visual and even edible illustration of John's bittersweet message of both judgment and mercy. This is exactly what we see in John chapter 1. Remember, Jesus was John's little cousin. And when John baptized him in the Jordan River and the Spirit descended on him, John realized, this isn't just my cousin. This is the Son of God in the flesh. So he shouts out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in this powerfully potent phrase, we see both the bad news and the good news. We see both the problem and the solution. We see the locust and the honey. So first, we have to see the bad news. What he calls there, verse 29, the sin of the world. So why is this world that we live in so broken? Why is there so much pain and sorrow and suffering? Why are there so many bad things and sad things? It's because of this fact. The sin of the world. And it's not just a problem out there. It's a problem in here, in us, in you, and in me. G.K. Chesterton, he once famously answered a question that was asked in a London newspaper. The paper asked, what's wrong with the world? And he responded, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. And I think we all know, if we're, if we're being honest, that Again, there isn't just a problem with the world in general, but that we're part of the problem. That we don't just live in a rebellious age, but we have a, a deep-seated rebellious streak in our own hearts. That it's not just that the world is broken out there, but that we're broken in here. So it's not just the sin of the world that's a problem. It's our participation in it, our sin, our rebellion, that's the problem. But John is showing us our sin so that he can show us the Savior. That's because bad news turns good news into glorious news. Bad news turns good news into glorious news. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you're sleeping one night. You're sleeping on the, the second story of a house. It's about 3 a.m. 
and you start hearing rocks hitting your window. So you go and you look out, and there's me. You think, God, it's that weird preacher. <laughs> and you open the window, you say, what are you doing? And I say, good news, jump, I'll catch you. You'll be safe. You would think, that's not good news. You're crazy. <laughs> You're out of your mind. But if I started by saying, the house is on fire, there's no way out, jump, I'll catch you, you'll be safe. That's different, isn't it? That's because bad news turns good news into glorious news. That's exactly what John's doing. That's exactly John's point. He isn't just trying to condemn us. He's trying to show us our need for a Redeemer and show us how good of a Redeemer there is. And that was his message, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I mean, his name was called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John wants us to know that we have a Savior. We have a Redeemer. We have a Lamb. He said that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And again, that should be bringing our mind back to the Exodus. I remember that that night of the Passover, that the, the firstborn son was doomed to die. Unless the blood of a spotless lamb was placed over the doorpost of their homes. That's because sin always leads to the grave. The wages of sin is death. R.C. Sproul used to say that sin is cosmic treason. That when we sin, we commit high treason against the creator of the cosmos. And so, really, it doesn't matter a whole lot how we sin. What matters is who we sin against. So let me give you another illustration. You might have heard this one before, but it's helpful. Uh, let's say... I come up to one of you and I slap you in the face. What's going to happen to me? Well, you guys are good Christian people, so you're probably going to turn the other cheek. But let's say you didn't. You might slap me back. You might punch me. I don't know. I get hit. But let's say I walk up to a police officer and I slap him in the face. I'm going to get arrested for assaulting an officer. Now, what happens if I walk up to the President of the United States and slap him in the face? A secret service officer is probably going to shoot me. <laughs> so what just happened there? I did the exact same thing. Just a slap in the face. But to three different people with three very different results. That's because ultimately, the way we sin, I mean, it matters, but, but what really matters is who we sin against. And rebellion against the eternal God, the creator God, the one true and living God, it's going to bring about an eternal punishment. The penalty for our cosmic treason is the just judgment of God's holy wrath. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus isn't merely a lamb. He's the lamb of God. In the old covenant, thousands of lambs were sacrificed. But only one lamb of God can take away sin. 
And God is so dedicated to saving sinners that he took on flesh, became a man, and suffered and died to rescue us. Jesus is the sinless, spotless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood to secure a great salvation for all who would trust in him. We were under the eternal death penalty because of our crimes against heaven. But in the great exchange of the gospel, Jesus took our place. Just as the Passover lamb was slaughtered so that God's people could be free, the lamb died so that they could live. It's the same for us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we failed to live, and he died the atoning death that we could never pay. And at the cross, the wrath of God against sin was satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus. And at the same time, the love of God for sinners was magnified. On the cross, God's wrath against sin was satisfied. And at the same time, his love for sinners was magnified. So for a moment, I want you to think about your life. Think about the biggest regret in your past. The thing that you wish you could get rid of. The sin that seems to haunt you or that keeps you up at night. If your faith is in Christ, I have really good news for you. It's gone. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's taken away. It's clean. Christian, you're clean. Your most guilty action, your most shameful thoughts, every single one of them are under the blood, washed clean in the precious blood of Christ. Your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Christ has trampled your sin underfoot and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more. Your sin has been nailed to the cross and buried in Christ's grave. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away your sin. Behold the Lamb. So Jesus takes away the penalty of sin. And he also takes away the power of sin. He takes away sin's power. So through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus removes the penalty of your sin fully, freely, and forever. And, again, there's more. And he begins the process of defeating the power of sin in your life day by day as you walk with him in faith. In other words, the, the penalty of sin has been taken away once and for all through what the Bible calls justification. And the power of sin is being taken away progressively through sanctification. And this is a great gift of the gospel. That the grace of God doesn't just forgive us, it transforms us. The grace that pardons our sin is the same grace that purifies us from sin. The gospel of Jesus gives us the hope of eternal life, but it also gives us the hope of a new way of life in the here and now. There's an old hymn that says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. 
Our sin has been canceled on the cross once and for all. And now he breaks the power of canceled sin in our daily lived experience. And this is true for all of us if we're in Christ. I mean, there's things in all of our lives that we know need to change, right? There is for me. There's things that we want to get rid of but just can't seem to stop. There's things that seem to have their hooks in us. No matter how hard we try to fight, just can't shake it. There's desires in us that we know are distorted and twisted that we want to change, but we feel powerless. And it's easy to feel hopeless as you live the Christian life. Is there hope for real lasting change? But there is hope. There is hope, but that hope is not found within yourself. It's found outside of you. It's found in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is currently taking away the power of sin in your life. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. He said we should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And repentance is just turning away from sin and turning towards the Savior. And it's not a one-time thing. It's ongoing. We continuously turn. Turn away from sin. Turn toward Jesus every day. But even repentance is a gift of God's grace. It's all of God. So the power to change is found not within you. It's found in Him. It's found in the one who loved you and gave Himself for you so that the life that you live in the flesh, you can live by faith in Him, the Son of God. So yes, Jesus breaks the power of sin in our lives. And perfection is coming, but not in this life. Not in this life. So don't set yourself up for failure by thinking, Oh, he's, he's breaking the power of my sin. So in, in five years or in 10 years, I won't have these struggles. I won't have these failures or these weaknesses. No, again, perfection is coming, not in this life, not in this age, in the age to come. So Jesus will empower you to keep getting back up, to keep getting back in the fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. So Christian, Jesus has set you free. You're no longer a slave. You get to live in the freedom of an adopted child of God. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And this is true because Jesus takes away the power of sin in our lives. But finally, Jesus takes away the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. So in justification, the penalty of sin is paid for once for all in the past. In sanctification, the power of sin is progressively defeated in the present. And in glorification, the very presence of sin will be eradicated completely in the future. Because although the power of sin has been broken in our lives, if we are in Christ, sin's presence still clings to us, doesn't it? We all have to fight the battle with the enemy within, with temptation, with indwelling sin. But dear believers, we have a glorious hope. 
these battles are one day going to give way to victory. Momentary sorrow will give way to eternal joy. And whether by our death or by Christ's return, we will one day be set free from the presence of sin forever. Again, perfection is coming. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world will ultimately recreate this world into a new heavens and a new earth, the home of everything good and true and beautiful, our home. Didn't we just sing that Jesus died to redeem the whole creation? I told you I would talk about, or about Sam. But I love Lord of the Rings. At the end of... Uh, Lord of the Rings, the final book, The Return of the King. I'm not sure if it's in the movies, but my favorite sidekick, Samwise Gamgee, he says this to Gandalf the wizard. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without counts. And the world that Jesus is going to recreate as a gift for us, which is amazing, is a world where the shadow has passed away, where sadness is replaced with laughter. In Jesus, we have the great expectation that everything sad will come untrue and everything bad will come undone. That the Son of God himself personally will set this world to rights. And you know what I'm looking most forward to about heaven? I mean, there's a lot. But one of the things I'm most looking forward to is being fully and forever set free from the presence of sin. We won't have any temptations. We won't have any addictions. We won't have any inclinations towards sin at all. We will finally be able to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We'll be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth in 100% purity. We'll have perfect love for one another. No more selfish tendencies, no more arrogant attitudes, no more straying like sheep prone to wander. Believer, Jesus started a good work in you. And he will bring it to completion. One day, Jesus, your Savior, the Lamb of God, will take away the presence of sin from your life and from this entire universe. No more to return. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. So I want to leave you with, with one final encouragement. Don't skip over that first word that John says. Behold. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And behold is just a fancy word for look. He's saying, Look to Jesus. Set your gaze on Jesus. Turn the eyes of your heart upon Jesus. So, if you're here and you don't know Christ, 
Maybe you're curious about Christianity or you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus. This is my invitation and it's so simple. Look to Jesus and find life. Look to him. You don't need to do any good works. You don't need to say the right words. You don't need to understand everything. Just look to Jesus. Behold the Lamb. True saving faith is looking away from yourself and looking to Christ as your only hope of being reconciled to God. So behold the Lamb of God who can take away your sin right now, this very moment. Give you a new life, both now and forever. And if you're a Christian, my encouragement to you is this. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. We run the race of faith looking unto Jesus. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So don't just glance at Him. Gaze at Him. Don't give Jesus a passing glance every now and then. Set the gaze of your heart on the radiance of His beauty as revealed in His Word. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let me leave you with this benediction from the letter of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this passage, for these specific words. We thank You for inspiring John the Baptist to preach this message. I pray that you would help us to behold the Lamb of God. To behold Him. To see Him as He truly is. To comprehend His love for us by faith. Help us to behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world and He's taken away our sin. We pray this for the glory of Your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.